Hey guys, welcome to RUF. It's good, good to see you. Um, scoot up here, let's get a little closer to y'all. Um, no matter where you are tonight, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, we're really glad that you're here and we, we want you to feel welcome. And um, please stay for dessert. We have donuts in the back. If you have not met me or if you have not met our intern, Caroline, where's Caroline? Caroline is here in the middle. Um, and uh, we would love to meet you and set up a time to get coffee with you or lunch in Burwell. Um, Caroline, I bet you've had more coffee in these three weeks, two weeks. Yes, yes. Um, RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and it's one of the many campus ministries here at Wofford. And we're a community trying to figure out what it looks like to love God, love others, and love Wofford, and we're an imperfect group of people trying to figure out how to do that. We're people, more fundamentally though, we're bound by the reality that before anything else, God loves us. That God loves us. Uh, This fall, we're going to be looking at the parables of Jesus. The parables of Jesus. um, The parables were stories that Jesus told in his life, in his ministry, to try to make sense of what it means to follow him in a fallen world. And these stories that he told, they often frustrated people. Jesus would sort of be walking with someone, and he'd point to a field, and he would tell a story about how the kingdom of God is somehow like, you know, agriculture. Or he would point to a tree, or he would tell a story about two sons. We've been focusing on the prodigal son last week, and we're going to be in the prodigal son again tonight. So guys, last week was really fun. Uh, Large group was really fun. But I... I left and I felt incomplete. Um, the night really wasn't complete, and it's because I didn't talk about the office. Um, so we're going to talk a lot about the office a little bit. Um, freshman, uh, I want you to know that I love the office, and I love LeBron James, and, and I also love uh, Friday Night Lights. That's, those are my, that's, that's kind of like a, a lowercase t trinity in my life, you know? Um, so... There's this show called The Office. You might have heard of it. And we have Jim. We have Dwight. Let's talk about them for a second. Jim, on the one hand, was probably a high school quarterback. He has this kind of swagger about him, the way that he carries himself, and this kind of zen-like composure around the office. He's a non-anxious presence when you need him to be. The way he flirts with Pam. They Well, I was going to spoil it, but actually, they, they end up getting married. They do. Sorry. Sorry. He has all the swagger. And then, sorry, Alexa, is that true? I assume that everyone's done with the office. Sorry, guys. So then we have Dwight. That's, that's Jim. We have Dwight on the other side. And in his own kind of swagger, he has the yellow mustard shirts. And he has the pen collection in his pocket. He takes his job so, so seriously. And he has this fixation upon... You know, moving up the ranks in Dunder Mifflin and lazy slackers like Jim are in the way. These are these two people. I bring these two people up because they're not unlike these two brothers in this story. And we're going to be focusing on the prodigal son again tonight, really focusing on the older brother. Because what we've seen and throughout church history, what people have referred to this psalm, not the psalm, this parable, um, is that it's usually called the parable of the prodigal son, just about the younger brother, and now he's lost. 
how he goes to the far country. And the father runs to him. We talked about that last week. But the older brother doesn't get a lot of attention, and the title suggests that. I agree with this. A lot of people think that it should be called the parable of the two lost sons because the older son is also lost. So I want to ask this question, and I want this question to guide you as I read the text. We're going to read the whole parable. How does the father respond to his older son? How does the father respond to his older son? We saw what happened with the younger son, what happens with the older one. Text is, uh, we're going to get, are we going to get wet uh, over here? Um, I thought I was trying to think of a baptism joke, and it just did not come to me. Um, the text is before you, and the handout if you got one. If you did not get a handout, turn there in your Bible. If you brought it in your phone, this is God's Word. He's not silent. He's spoken to us. He hasn't spoken to us to give us a book of rules. He hasn't given us a theology exam either. He's spoken to us because He's personal. He wants to have a relationship with us. And He loves us. And He said, it's Jesus telling this story, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. He divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, we said last week, he kind of woke up. He said, how many of my father's hired servants... Have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, here's his speech, his apology speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no, longer to be, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. She's on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost. He's found now and they began to celebrate. Now, His older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost. 
is found. The word of God for the people of God. Let's ask for His help. Lord, we do come to You and we give thanks. Your Word is living and active. We know this to be true because You are living and active. You do things when we open Your Word. Uh, Your Spirit convicts us, encourages us, consoles us, challenges us. You're trying to mold us into the likeness of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that that would happen here this evening. You know where we are, what we walk into this hot pavilion in. Um, And you know our needs. We ask you to meet our needs in your word. By your spirit, we pray in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. Game plans before you if you have a handout. If you don't, here's here's where we're going. First, the rejection. Second, the invitation. Rejection, invitation. Let's look at the first one. The rejection. So the younger son ran away. Last week we saw this. He ran away. Far country. Goes up to his dad and he essentially says, I want you to drop dead now. I'm in a hurry for you to die. Give me the inheritance so I can go do my own thing. And he went on this exploration of self-discovery and self-actualization. That's what we saw. We saw their younger son reject his father. His heart and actions were rebellious. But we need to slow down and realize that the older son is rejecting his father. How is he doing this? The first way we see it is he's doing it with suspicion. He's doing it with self-righteousness. And he's doing it with control. Let's look at suspicion first. You notice how suspicious he is in verse 25? Look there again. Now his older son was in the field. Listen to this. Think about this. The scene is the party. He hears the party. The older son came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. Called one of his friends nearby. And he says, your brother's come. Your father's killed the fattened calf. He describes the party to him. He angrily just stays outside the party. He hears this party. He was like, hey, what is going on over here? With the, no one invited me to this party. Why, was it, why didn't I know about this? He came home most likely after a hard day's work, if we know anything about this guy. He whispers again, what is going on with this commotion in the house? I can imagine him seeing people smiling off at the disc distance smelling the barbecue that his dad is throwing all and he's just he's so suspicious he's suspicious of the way that his father is doing things he's just, the suspicion is directed towards his father it's not just that he wasn't invited it's like why did my dad do this i know the smell of that barbecue and he never did it for me he's suspicious next we see self-righteousness he's rejecting his father with self-righteousness verse 28 look there but he was angry and refused to go in. Here's his, listen to this spiritual resume that he just throws on his dad. Where are we at? 29. Look, this many, many years I've served you, never disobeyed your command. But you never gave me a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends, much less a fattened calf. Spiritual resumes in front of him, you never rewarded me. Why, would I, why did I even do this? Why do I even obey you? Guys, the older son is rejecting his father with self-righteousness. His scorekeeping theology and way of relating to his dad is actually keeping him outside of the father's joy party. That's what is going on. His righteousness, not his unrighteousness, his righteousness is stiff-arming the father. It's stiff-arming the father. He's outside. Tim Keller paraphrases the older son this way. Listen, older son, I've worked myself to death and earned what I've got, but my brother has done nothing to earn anything. He's actually merited only expulsion 
and yet you lash him with wealth. Where's the justice in that? Keller then goes on to say, that's why he refers to his spiritual resume. I've never disobeyed you. I have rights. He's saying I I deserve to be consulted. Do not make these unilateral decisions on my behalf. Why did you not ask me or invite me? Self-righteousness. Outside, y'all, you can't get cleaner than this guy. But the inside, his, his, his feet didn't run away from his father, but his heart is, could not be further away from his father. Because in, inside is where he's lost. It's not outside. He goes to church. He never misses RUF large group. He memorizes scripture. Never misses a Bible reading plan when he makes the New Year's resolution. All the mission trips, all there on the resume. And you never threw this party for me. He's stiff-arming. So last week we mentioned that Jesus in telling the story is challenging how we usually think of sin. So we talked about how sin is not primarily rule-breaking. It's the instinct in your heart and my heart to wake up in the morning and try to go find a home away from the Father's presence. It's, the, it's way more nuanced in heart level. It's not just rule-breaking. That's what we saw last week. The older son is looking for a home, not in sleeping around with prostitutes, not in the parties, but in his morality. He's actually looking to his spiritual resume and the to-do list that he never misses, and he's looking to it with confidence. He's looking to it to be his home, not with his father. Not with his father. One author says it this way, not only did the younger son who left home to look for freedom and happiness in a distant country, he got lost. But the one who stayed home also became a lost man. The one who, came, who stayed home also became a lost man. He believes this, this, this kind of presupposition that he's, he's working with here, this operating system that he has in this functional theology and understanding of his father, is what is historically just called legalism. He's a Pharisee, y'all. And what Pharisee legalism stuff says is you obey God, you get His favor. You don't obey God, you don't get His favor. That's what he's doing. I've done all these things, you never threw me a party. That's the logic here. In his suspicion and self-righteousness, we see his rejection. Last, we see that he's trying to control his father. He's trying to control his father. He's saying, hey dad, amazing grace... How, you know, it sounds great, but please, you've got to be kidding me with him. He's gone too far. Your love has to have limits. I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. You know what he's done? He slept around with prostitutes. He wasted all your money. He told you to die on the spot. No way. He's trying to put limits on God's love. He's trying to put limits on God's mercy. The older son rejects his father by trying to control his father. He wants the father's love on his own terms. Not on the father's. Don't welcome him. Interestingly, we'll get this this in a second. Kind of off script here. Sin always isolates us from God and from others. What we see, where is the, is the, the younger son? He ends up being alone. Older son also being alone. He's outside the party. No one's hanging out with him. He's completely alone. Sin has isolated himself. And it also isolates and alienates everyone around you. 
He doesn't even, he said, did you hear what he said? He refers to his, his, uh, his brother, your son. The entitlement there. He's not even treating him like family anymore. This is what sin does to us. We don't even treat people like humans anymore. We dehumanize them. He's competition now. He got the best party. This is what sin does to us. All right, that's rejection. Let's go to invitation. How does the father respond? First, he pursues his son. He pursues his son. Verse 28 says this, if you look there, but he was angry and refused to go in and his father came out and entreated him. I want you to think of this scene. The father is inside the party. He's inside the village. He looks around on the right. He sees his younger son in the kitchen eating with his friends, chatting. They're smiling. They're laughing. They're telling old jokes from high school. He surveys the room and there's just this general celebratory vibe. And the father is so like joyful about this, what he sees. And then something hits him. His, his son isn't there. His oldest son isn't there. And something begins to churn in him. He has to go find him. The party isn't complete without him. I've got to find him and get him in on this. So he leaves. Do you see? He leaves the father. What happens in the first parable? The, the, old, the dad leaves the village, seeks out his son, runs to him, humiliates himself, And what we see with the older son is he's leaving the party. This is what grace does. It pursues you on a personal level. The invitation of grace in the gospel is not this generic, like, hey, it's an open invitation. There's the party. You can come in. Free barbecue sandwiches there. No, it like seeks you out. It hunts you down. That's what happens. And it's it's like hunting you down in love. It seeks you personally. It's up close and personal. That's what we see the father doing to both sons. I want you in here with me. I want you with me. God's love is not passive. It's not a vague love. He pursues His children to bring them home. Because the Father will not rest until His his children are home. And that's not just in the parable. right? This is Jesus telling this story. This is how Jesus feels about His children. It's how Jesus feels about His children. He will not rest until they're all home. Look at verse 31 again. What we see is just absolute grace in 31. I love this. This is the Father speaking. Son, you're always with me. This is His response. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. Your brother was dead. He's alive. He was lost. He's found. Do you hear the Father's love? Let me nerd out for a second on, on the, the, the word son in verse 31. The Greek word for son here is actually a family word. It's an intimate word. What he is essentially saying is, hey, you actually, you're out here alone. You do not feel like my son. You do not feel like my son. You don't, you're not experiencing me as, as your father. I'm saying you're my child. That's what he's saying with using this word. He is not... He's saying, my child, all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. And the way that we get home is by grace, not through scorekeeping. Grace has always been the plan. It's not trying to find fullness away from the Father's presence like the younger brother. It's not trying to find fullness and a home in the spiritual resume. Whatever that spiritual resume is to you. It's not scorekeeping. It's sheer mercy that has no limit. 
That's how the Father responds. Let's, let's pause for a second. I, there's, there's all kinds of things as we kind of land the plane that we could say about how to apply this passage to our everyday lives. This is one of the most famous stories in the whole Bible. There's so much we say, can say. I just want to say two things. The first is this. We have got to see that self-righteousness isolates us from God and others that I mentioned earlier. Self-righteousness isolates us from God and others. My friend and I were talking the other day and he said, self-righteousness and pride are like bad, it's like bad breath. You don't know that you have it. Everyone around you knows that you have it. Also think of, uh, of Gollum in Lord of the Rings. If you remember him, um, he was the hobbit uh, Smeagol and he became obsessed and fixated upon this ring and, and was overtaken by it. And what happens over time? He becomes very alone and it literally changes his appearance. This lust and obsession with the joy that he was trying to experience with the ring isolated him. He lived in a village He has no friends. He's isolated. This is what sin does. This is what self-righteousness does to our hearts. Second, we must repent of our self-righteous hearts. There's no other way to say it. We must repent of our self-righteous hearts. Most of us in this room, if we're honest, and I think this is one of the reasons why the story is so so profound and so like celebrated in church history. Everyone loves this story. Is because like whether it's Dwight or or Jim or the older or younger brother, you can kind of identify with one or the other more naturally. Maybe there's a little bit of both, but more naturally, you probably lean in one or the other direction. The older brother struggled with his wild younger brother experiencing the love of God. He wanted to put limits on his father's love. And if you're wired like the older brother you are going to have to be stretched in celebrating when the prodigals come home. If you, when you see a prodigal son or daughter come home, you're going to have to fight to celebrate that and not envy it. You're going to have to fight that. Celebrate it. They are a brother and sister. Now maybe you identify more with the younger son. You're probably really allergic to the older brother Pharisee types, the scorekeepers. Celebrate them and how they're wired and how the Holy Spirit is in their life, trying to bear fruit out in the world and on this campus. Celebrate them, their family. Like it or not, that's that's our motley crew called God's people to church. And we don't get to select who that is and who gets God's grace. primary image in the New Testament, I love We Will Feast in the House of Zion, the words of that song, is because it's a picture of heaven. It's a picture of heaven, and the primary picture of heaven in Revelation is a meal. It's a table. It's a party. And at that party, we do not get to pick who shows up. Anne Lamott has this great quote that says, you know that you've made God in your own image, when God hates the same people that you do. You know that you've made God in your own image when when God hates all the same people that you do. Because at that party, all of God's people will be there. We have no say in it. 
All by grace. Older sons and daughters, younger sons and daughters, the prodigals, the older sons, the Pharisees. And you can't put limits on this. God's mercy goes to those who drink too much. It goes to those who can't stop sleeping around. God's mercy, it goes to the girl who will not stop gossiping. It goes to the guy who can't forgive his father for never being around. It it goes to those who look to their self-righteousness for a home. It goes to those who look to pornography for a home. It goes to all of these people. And they will all be at the table by sheer grace, not by earning anything at all. And it will be a crazy diverse table and it will be the best party around. Come in. Like, let's, like, I can just hear the, like, come in. Everything that I have is yours. It's wide open. To the Greek students, to the people who are not Greek, the athletes, to every race, every socioeconomic class, goes to the political right, to the political left. God's mercy goes to your mom who, again, wasn't around and you cannot forgive. It goes to her too. It goes to those who you're allergic to. All right, I want, I'm going I'm so, I'm to stop. But I want you to think of the family meal for a second. Like, I want you to imagine in your mind. And I want you to think of the Dwight Schrute's of the church at that table with the pens and everything. And across the table is going to be the gems of the church. And they'll be there. And they will look at each other and they will say, they will probably sing, but I'm not going to sing, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, it's never sounded sweeter to save a wretch like me and a wretch like you. And they're going to laugh and they're going to be like, our only hope this whole time was grace the whole time. The only way we're at this table is by grace of the Father. Let's go get another barbecue sandwich. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do.